starting with apologies for absence. I've received apologies from councillors Goddard, Lemon, who may be late, he's not here, is he? No. Um, Parr, Fairhurst, Riles and Knight. Any others? Uh, thank you. Any declarations of interest? Uh, Councillor Freeman. Southern Warden Town Council member of Chairman. Councillor Morris. Um, yes, Chairman. I'm a member of Southern Warden Town Council. Thank you. Councillor Anjum. Yeah, I'm a member of Southern Warden Town Council as well. Thanks. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Uh, as a member of Essex County Council, Chairman. Thank you. No others? Okay, moving on then to minutes of the meeting on the 13th of October. Uh, Councillor Davey. Yeah, I, I did attend that meeting, uh, Madam Chairman, if you could add my name to yep. the record. Okay, I'll just go through them, yeah. So I'll go through the minutes then if there's no queries or questions on these. Um, any matters arising then from um, C37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. Oh, I'm so sorry, Councillor Lodge. Yeah, Madam Chairman, just uh, to, to try and cl clarify some possible uh, misunderstandings in, in, the, um, uh, in the minutes, as, as we have discussed, um, the, um, the issue is not quite clear about uh, the actions of uh, R4U in the last meeting with regard to the documents for consultation, uh, which, uh, which, which uh, uh, finished on the 4th of uh, December. Just to make it clear that... Um, we, were, uh, we had issues with the document and purely with the document itself. There was no issue uh, that we did not agree with the consultation. Indeed, as a party which is very strongly in favour of consultation in general and in particular in listening to the views which come through in that, con in, in that consultation, it, it was purely with the document and absolutely uh, not with the principle of consultation. And I would like that to be minuted. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Chairman, um, these are the minutes of the last meeting. Councillor Lodge was not at that meeting. I do have problems with him telling us what happened at that meeting when he was not there and what his group feels. If one of his group would like to make some comments about the way that the minute reflected the business of that meeting, I think that's fine. If I remember who wasn't here, I do feel that's slightly inappropriate. Councillor Light. Okay. Um, as I was at that meeting and um, I spoke, I'd just like to clarify and support what uh, our um, party chair and leader here in the council is, uh, in our group is saying, that in fact we are 100% in favour of consultation. I also made that point, which will be found in the minutes at the bottom. And it was with the document with which we had issue and offered to uh, make changes, make it more comprehensible and uh, user-friendly, which we actually did. So therefore, we, want, we would like this clarified and minuted, please, that it was 
just with the document. We are in favour of consultation as a party and in this particular instance. And I'd like uh, that recorded, please. Thank you. Um, I, I would just like to... Oh, I'm so sorry. Councillor Artis. Uh, yes. Um, I must admit, actually, I agree. Um, I think the, the uh, comment was about um, the content of the document rather than the process itself. So I, I would agree. <laughs> Any other comments? Yeah, okay. I, thank you. It's Christmas time, and uh, I, I don't think we want to spend hours talking about what happened at the last meeting. Um, I'm crystal clear. Uh, we put forward a document that had been pre-approved by the three leaders. In fact, it had been circulated, I believe, to members. And um, I said at that meeting that points of clarification, if it had slipped into planning jargon, were acceptable, um, that we would take on board. Um, but that didn't make any difference to the way the vote went, went and I think that's what the minutes reflect. I don't think anybody's suggesting that half of you don't believe in consultation, and I'm sure you do, uh, but uh, I think we should be clear about what actually happened at the meeting. But as I say, please, let's uh, quickly move on. Well, thank you. Before we do move on, I would just like to um, ask for uh, a paragraph within the minutes to be removed. Um, in fact, the paragraph that Councillor Light is referring to in C48, um, because we had actually closed the meeting at that point, and I don't believe they should be minuted at all. Michael Perry. Thank you. Okay, so moving on then to the minutes of the 24th of November. You didn't have an issue with attendance on this one, did you? No. Okay. All right. So any matters arising from these minutes or any questions? No. So point by point, C50. I think there was actually only one for the one, the one section. Okay. No questions? Uh, we're going to move on next to the mem uh, review of member allowances, um, but I would just like to say that at this point, um, after this, we're just going to take a slight change to the order of the agenda and bring forward item 11, which is the update on the local strategic partnership, as we have had a guest um, come along who we don't want to keep here all evening. Um, Janet Pearson. Thank you. Um, Janet's here as the Chairman of the Independent Remuneration Panel. She will be presenting the panel's report and the recommendation. I believe Jackie Anslow, um, last year's Chairman, is also here this evening. Um, and I just wanted to let everyone know that this is her last year as a panel member and to thank her for all of her hard work. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I will try to keep this fairly short, as I think most of our reasoning and recommendations are self-explanatory. If anyone has any questions afterwards, I will try to answer them. I would like to thank everyone for their input and assistance, which has enabled us to make our recommendations to the Council. We were very pleased to welcome two new members to the team and think it benefited us to have a fresh outlook and new ideas. I'm sure it would be helpful to members in considering our recommendations to set out briefly the general aims behind the approach we decided to adopt. We identified four main strands to examine as part of our review. Some of them are legacy from previous review. 
The first of these was a reduction in size of the council and the impact on reduction on council workload. Leading on from that, we looked at whether the basic allowance and the index by which it is measured reflected present council needs. Secondly, we looked at the reduction in the size of the Cabinet and the continuing role of executive members. Next, we examined the new role of portfolio lead member introduced by the leader after the election. The portfolio lead role was specifically referred to us for review by the leader. The final aspect we decided to review was the roles undertaken by the main and other opposition group leaders, having uncovered some evidence last year that allowances paid at Uttlesford were lagging behind those generally paid at similar authorities elsewhere. You are all aware that the number of councillors in the district has decreased from 44 to 39 in the local election held in May therefore saving the cost of five basic allowances. Although there was no hard evidence to substantiate it, we heard some anecdotal evidence to suggest that the caseload of at least some members has increased since the implementation of the new large awards. After a long period, when the basic allowance has not changed, we felt that some upward movement was justified this year, while still paying regard to the public sector pay cap. The makeup of the council has also altered, with new roles being introduced and a reduction in the size of cabinet. Four years ago, we made a planned forecast when the council moved from committee to a cabinet system. We did not implement it in full because the executive model adopted at Uttlesford did not develop as we had anticipated and this is not a criticism of anyone. Apart from the reduced size of the cabinet, the collegiate method of decision making has not altered and we do need to see some evidence of responsibility for decisions being taken at individual portfolio level before deciding whether to reactivate our three year plan. We explored the new role of portfolio lead member and concluded that the role is not yet sufficiently well developed or defined to justify introducing an SRA. To enable us to make our recommendations this year, we consulted with group leaders, invited answers to our survey from councillors, looked at other local authorities and also noted other developing roles which are still in their infancy. Our main recommendation is that the other group leaders' allowance is uplifted because we identified last year that they were out of line with other authorities and we acknowledge the amount of work these roles involve. In summary, we have agreed to make the following proposals to you this evening. 1. An increase in basic allowance of 1% reflecting across all of the allowances in the present scheme. 2. An increase in the SRA paid to opposition group leaders. The basis for the recommendation is explained in the report. 3. No increase to other allowances. And 4. We are also recommended that councillors in the lead portfolio role can claim expenses by making a small change in the definition of approved duties. The expected 
The expected cost of implementing these proposals is approximately £6,000 as against a saving of £25,000 from 2014-15 to the present year. In looking at our recommendations, we ask you to bear in mind that this is our independent assessment of the needs of the Council based on current member roles. It is important also to note in deciding on our recommendations, we look at the position and not the person undertaking it. We hope that you approve our recommendations, but if there are any questions, I will endeavour to answer them. Thank you. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions? Councillor Rolfe. It's uh, not a question. I just wanted to uh, commend uh, Mrs Pearson and her team uh, for their work and an excellent report. Uh, I think it's a very fair balance, um, and um, I think Council knows my views well, that uh, we ask uh, um, experts uh, to review the remuneration on a totally independent basis, and uh, it's therefore inappropriate, unless we particularly disagree, to tinker with that. We don't particularly want to go down and make the same mistake that they've made in the Houses of Westminster. Uh, so I fully commend these. They are quite substantial increases for the leaders of the opposition. Uh, I would recommend that uh, all these go through. It is obviously for the individuals to comment, but I would recommend that we go ahead. I certainly will not be making any political uh, scoring out of that. As far as I am concerned, I think it is the right thing to do. Uh, you have reassessed that role uh, and you have brought it into line with uh, comparatives and, and, and what the position should be. So I fully endorse it and, uh, and think we should proceed accordingly. So thank you very much for all your work and for your thank team's you. work. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Councillor Chambers. Madam Chairman, could I uh, formally second that proposal from the Leader of the Council? Thank you. Councillor Light. Thank you, Chair. Uh, and thank you very much for the work that the panel has undertaken on behalf um, of the Council and the Councillors. Um, I do recognise that there is a lot of time, a lot of commitment, a lot of hard work that goes into councillors' roles. However, given that this is a time of austerity, I feel very strongly that I would not like to accept an increase. We cannot accept one until I think that the circumstances change and we could look at it again perhaps in a year or two. So I'll be voting against. Okay. Can I just say yes, please something? do. Um, everyone, of course, all the councillors are, of course, um, can turn down any increase or indeed the basic allowance. Thank you. It's their right. Thank you. Uh, I've got Councillor Barker, then Councillor Sell. Thank you, Chair. Just briefly, um, you said when you were speaking that councillors don't make single decisions. This councillor certainly does. She represents this council, the parking partnership, the flood partnership the Waste Partnership, if she makes decisions out there on behalf of this Council. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I'm just rising to uh, speak in support of the recommendation for the leaders of the Opposition. I, I think it's about time that the Council recognises the importance of opposition to a healthy democracy and it does involve a lot of work and therefore I'm very pleased that the panel has recommended this. As Councillor Rolf has said already, and I would agree with him, I think it's a very fair and balanced report. Thank you. Thank you. Would anyone else like to speak? 
So we have a proposer and a seconder for the motion. So I will move to a vote. All in favour? Councillor Anjum. Against, thank you. Uh, Councillor Artis. Uh, Councillor Asker's not here. Uh, Councillor Barker, Graham Barker. Councillor Susan Barker. Councillor Chambers. Councillor Davy. Paul Davies isn't here. Councillor Dean. Councillor Fairhurst isn't here. Councillor Farthing. Councillor Felton. Councillor Foley. Councillor. Yeah, I would just like to say when you call out your vote, could you switch on your microphone? Otherwise, it won't be recorded. Thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> but I've ticked it already. <laughs> Councillor Anjum. Against. Thank you. Councillor Artis. Oh, let me see. Um, four. <laughs> Councillor Graham Barker. Four. Councillor Susan Barker. Four. Councillor Chambers. Four. Councillor Davy. Four. Councillor Dean. Four. Councillor Farthing. Four. Councillor Felton. Four. Councillor Foley. Four. Councillor John Freeman. He's not here. Uh, Councillor Richard Freeman. Against. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Gleeson. Four. Councillor Goddard isn't here. Councillor Gordon. Too many mics on the That's it. Four. Councillor Hargreaves. Against. Councillor Harris. Four. Uh, Councillor Hicks. Four. Councillor Howell. Four. Councillor Jones. Four. Councillor Knight isn't here. Councillor Lemon isn't here. Councillor Light. Against. Councillor Lodge. Against. Councillor Lachlan. Four. Councillor Mills. Four. Councillor Morris. Against. Councillor Oliver. Four. Councillor Parr is not here. Councillor Parry. Oh, Against. Thank you. Councillor Ranger. Four. Councillor Redfern. Four. Councillor Rolfe. Four. Councillor Riles. Sorry. Councillor Sell. Four. Thank you. Councillor Wells. Four. Chairman, the vote is 23 in favour of the motion and 7 against. The motion is carried. Thank you. So moving forward to um, item 11, the update on the local strategic partnership which Howard is going to introduce. Well, just to, uh, to, uh, just to set the thing in context and to introduce our speakers. Um, 
You'll remember that uh, Council wanted to know more about the local strategic partnership and the work that it does. Uh, and at our last Council meeting, uh, John Mitchell talked about the Community Safety Partnership, which is one of the four subgroups. Uh, the other three are the children and com uh, family group that we're about to hear from this evening, health and well-being, which we'll hear from in, at our next meeting, uh, or maybe we'll hear from economic development. But the, the other two are economic development, which is, is combined with the environment and with transport under the acronym ESET, uh, and as I say, health and well-being. So those are the four groups, um, chaired in each case by an independent uh, person, not a, not a councillor. Uh, some councillors are involved, but there's, a, there's a, a lot of external partnership work that goes on. So I'm delighted to welcome the Reverend David Tomlinson uh, to uh, talk about the general work, and I believe Alan Hawkes will talk particularly about the food bank. So over to you, David. Thank you for coming, both of you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk to the full council about our work as the Children and Families Group. Our work is characterised by collaboration, which strikes me as very important in this days of austerity, where resources are limited, but uh, you need great wisdom to decide what to collaborate about. If you collaborate effectively, then there are significant gains to be made. If the collaboration is ineffective, then there are significant losses. Because if you're collaborating together, you're not doing something else. And there's inevitable hassles about collaborating with others across different disciplines and agencies. Therefore, the crucial first step is to decide what you're going to do. Another introductory observation is that for partnerships to be effective, they need to be supported and facilitated. Therefore, I want to pay warm tribute to the Leader of the Council, Councillor Howard Rolfe, for his unfailing and unwavering support for the partnerships, along with the Council officers, Gaynor Bradley, who is now retired, Kerry Vinton and Fiona Gardner. One of the best projects to emerge from our work has been the Food Bank, and Alan Hawkes, the project coordinator, is going to speak about that shortly. So I want to give you a flavour of how we work and one particular piece of work in particular, child poverty, they mention at the end other streams of work that we've been working on. Child poverty is an emotive issue and there's controversies about definitions and statistics and that can distract us from thinking about what can we do to help. We set up a subgroup to think about what action we could take we did some initial thinking about this issue in Uttlesford. We looked at the figures according to the definition of which families have an income less than 60% of the national median. We found there were six, over 600 living in poverty according to this definition in Uttlesford. There are particular wards that have higher levels of child poverty, notably Saffron Walden Castle, Stansted South, along with Birchanger, Clavering, Great Dunmo South, Thaxted and the Rodings. Child poverty clearly is about much more than income and we looked at the United Nations Rights of a Child, a wide-ranging series of aims that address child poverty. Then we had to decide what we could do to make a difference to this really big and challenging issue with very limited resources. Here are the outcomes of three things we tried to do. We started a project on school readiness to get children in the poorer areas of Uttlesford ready for school. We did that in conjunction with the children's centres and with the local schools. And those school readiness programmes include simple things like potty training, dressing and undressing, and identifying numbers and letters. That was the first project. The second was an awareness raising project to help those 
families struggling to know what's out there that can help them in terms of benefits. So he set up a simple poster campaign aimed at the supermarkets with a simple strap line, if you work more than 16 hours per week and are paid 16,000 or less, contact this number, giving the number of the CAB. And our third and perhaps most striking venture was to set up a day conference for Uttlesford Schools in March 2015, making schools aware of the agencies that help address child poverty and showcasing in particular the frontline web-based system pioneered by the CAB, which is there to signpost and refer uh, people in poverty to the agencies that can support them. I'm glad the council has been backing that, that uh, frontline system. It's very significant and it's being rolled out across West Essex and can make a huge difference. We did monitor the impact of that particular day and we found that the turnout, not lots of people turned up, which is always a good sign. We got verbal feedback written on a flip chart that was all positive and we tracked people's uh, knowledge beforehand and afterwards on a range. So they said they knew, uh, they were level three at the beginning about how much they knew about which agencies could help tackle child poverty. And by the end of the morning, they they were signifying they'd moved to an eight. So that venture worked very well. That gives you a flavour of what we've done on child poverty. Other things we've been thinking about and doing, trying to do something about is the whole issue of safeguarding. A number of us went, of us went to the Hidden Arms conference last week, a very salutary and hard-hitting conference tackling child sexual exploitation, gangs, trafficking and slavery. And we've been working with the Community Safety Partnership on child sexual exploitation in particular, making sure that champions in each local school are well aware of that issue. We've also been backing and being supportive for the Credit Union, which has been initiated in Uttlesford and is slowly developing. We've been tracking youth provision in Uttlesford clubs, activities, and have been monitoring and lobbying and encouraging the development of youth clubs and new activities to ensure the youth of this area are well served. We also lobbied on the issue of information sharing. Sometimes a lack of information can impair and impede the work of agencies. In particular, we've lobbied on the sharing of birth data for the benefit of children's centres so they can hit their very difficult targets about the number of children in proportion to those who are there that they have contact with. We've had some success on that, pushing on information sharing. We've also been monitoring on the impact of welfare reform, the so-called bedroom tax and the rolling out of universal credit, which is slowly beginning to happen. And along with all those dreams, we've been working hard to support other collaborative enterprises and partnerships, the Think Family Network, which has been highly effective under the leadership of Claire Corrigan, and the new Uttlesford Multi-Agency Centre starting soon on Monday the 22nd of February 2016 very good venture and Fiona Gardner has been a key player in establishing that. I hope it gives, us, gives you a flavour of our role and what we've been doing and the, and the areas of work we've been working on. I urge the council to continue to support the partnerships and the four streams. Let's continue working together for the benefit of the residents of Uttlesford, particularly those facing difficulties. That leads on to the food bank. I chair the management committee. Alan is the project coordinator Alan, over to you. Thank you. Well, Madam Chair, thank, me, thank you for inviting us to talk to you about the work which the committee does, which the Food Bank does. 
The food bank uh, began operations in July 2014 and it's no small measure due to the support which this council gave that it was able to do so. The purpose of the Uttlesford Food Bank is to provide emergency assistance to residents in Uttlesford who, for whatever reason, are unable to purchase their own food uh, for a short period of time. It's basically seen as a means of helping people overcome a crisis. The most common cause of people seeking our help is delays or errors in their benefits. That affects 34% of the clients who come to us, and the second most common is low pay, which affects 21%. That leaves other causes such as domestic violence, which frequently causes homelessness, illness, unemployment, and then we have a, a series of small accidents like the oven breaks down, and so the money goes on repairing the oven, not buying the food to put in a non-working oven. The food we have is stored at the New Life Church on Shire Hill. That's its third place. It's distributed via three places. The Salvation Army on Abbey Lane in Saffron Walden, the Uttlesford Hub in Dunmo, and more recently, Takeley Parish Office in Takeley. Occasionally, there are deliveries to the homes of clients as well. Since opening, we have had 109 individuals come to us seeking our assistance. 61% of, of those 109 live alone. 39% have partners or dependents, or, and or dependents, should I say. If you add the partners and the dependents in, you have 201 people who have been helped on at least one occasion. If repeat visits, dependents are all added in, then you could say that's the equivalent of helping 448 people on 248 occasions. I don't want to get into any risk of double counting, which is why I'm spreading that out a bit. It's reassuring that in Uttlesford, 61% of the people who come to us come only once, and their crisis is solved. A further 15% come twice only, and another 6% come only three times. Nationally, the more likely figure for people turning up only once to a food bank is nearer 40%. So it is a bit different in that respect. If a client makes more than three visits within a six-month rolling period, that's taken to indicate something more than a simple one-type <coughs> problem. A person who requires help from other agencies, and the agencies do work together and keep in touch with each other to fashion a response to that person's problems. As the food bank began in Saffron Walden at Abbey Lane, and for a while that was the only distribution point, and because Saffron Walden is the largest town, it's not surprising that the majority, almost the majority of clients have come from Saffron Walden. That was certainly the case in the beginning. It is now 45% of clients come from Saffron Walden, 16% from Dunmo, and also interestingly, 16% are homeless, temporarily or housed by local authorities in temporary accommodation. The clients are unevenly distributed over the electoral wards. David referred to areas of deprivation that you all know of. The figures of the food bank do not exactly map onto that because some places have accommodation which boosts the figures. The ward which has the highest number of clients is Saffron Ward and Audley Ward. That is a figure that results from partly having Bromford House and for having 79 Station Road, which offers temporary accommodation to people within it. Each food parcel is meant to last 
the people it's given to for three days. They come in four sizes, a single person, a couple, which could be two adults or one adult, one child, um, a small family pack, which is for three to four people, and a large family pack, which is for five upwards. Now, a single-person pack will typically weigh 12 kilos, with a food to the value of about 25 to 30 pounds, whereas the largest pack weighs about 30 kilos, with a value of 70 to 75 pounds. When you think about the weights and the fact that people who are having to come to a food bank are unlikely to turn up in their own car to collect it, and we have known someone have to walk four miles carrying it, there's always a certain tension between how much can we put in and what can they reasonably be expected to carry any distance. Um, so if we've got a lot of lightweight packeted soups, that's quite a bonus for what we can put in compared to tin soups. Normally we operate with something like one and a half tonnes of stock or a little less. Recently we have seen an inundation of food because of harvest festivals. Many schools and churches and other organisations said they'd like to donate to us. And I think the time the donation started coming in we had 1.3 tonnes and 10 days later we had 2.6 tonnes of food and the shells were groaning and it was being stacked up on what is actually the five-a-side football court of the New Life Church, but I'm pleased to say that they still managed to play football and the only damage was one packet of cornflakes once got knocked <laughs> off the shelf. We also help out the Salvation Army's distribution of parcels and this week I had volunteers in packing up 53 parcels which the Salvation Army wishes to give out and that took out 520 tonnes out of our calculation. To date, we have received 9.9 tonnes of food in a little over a year, of which we have distributed 7.9 tonnes. Occasionally we get a surplus of some types of food and we'll offer it to other organisations doing similar work to us, to night shelters, etc. <coughs> Approximately 4% of the food we get in has to be disposed of for a variety of reasons. The most common is it's out of date. We stick to the best before dates on the basis that while it's probably perfectly all right to eat, when somebody's really down because they're having to turn to a charity for food is not the time to feed them with food which said it's past its best before date. We'd like to lift their morale a little. Most of that food which we have to get rid of, though, does not go out of date in the warehouse. It arrives out of date. Um, there's always a certain cupboard-clearing approach, I think, taken by some donors when their child comes home and says, can we have some food for a collection? Either that or they don't know about their best before dates and don't look at them. We also have slight problems with home-produced food because we don't have the ability to check on date of manufacture or hygiene standards. We also get food which comes in packets which are at some point damaged, so there's a risk of contamination. And occasionally food which really isn't suitable to go into a pack. I'm not sure how many people who are really hungry would want a, a, jar, a large jar of pickled gherkins, for example, um, which we've been known to have, or food which people have brought back on holiday, which is in packets completely laid in a foreign language, which sometimes none of us have been able to speak. So we don't send that out, nor do we distribute any alcohol, although we're sometimes given it because many of our clients are either alcoholics, alcoholics or recovering alcoholics. The food is mainly distributed donated to us throughout the year through permanent collection points in Tesco and in Waitrose. In addition, we receive ad hoc deliveries occasionally from the supermarkets who want to move some food on or feel kindly disposed towards us. And Harvest Festival and Christmas are two other times 
when other groups step in to give us food. This Christmas, in addition, Mullock Wells estate agents and a subsidiary of AstraZeneca said they'd like to collect Christmas-themed food for us, so I was able to announce to the committee that we'd surely cover the entire range where we have estate agents and multinational drug companies <laughs> working for us. If there are any questions that anybody would like to ask, I'd be happy to answer them. That's just a brief overview of our work. Thank you. Thank you. My mic isn't working. Councillor Dean. Thank you, gentlemen, for your uh, presentation. It's very encouraging, the work that's going on. Um, I would like to ask um, Mr. Hawke, raise a question with Mr. Hawkes about the food bank. I mean, you, you talked about the coverage of the district and mentioned uh, various places, but in particular Saffron Walden. And you didn't mention Stansted, and that's because there's a separate standalone uh, food bank there. In fact, my wife and I are the holders of the mobile phone this wow. week, and we've already taken three calls on Monday and Tuesday, mm -hmm. so, so there is demand everywhere. I, but my, my question is, how much of the district is, apart from Stansted, is covered by the food bank that you operate? Do, are you able to deal with requests uh, in all the villages? And more to the point, do people out there know that it exists because part of the question we've asked in Stansted is when demand goes down, we, we raise a question about whether people know about the existence mm -hmm. of it and most of the referrals come through the CAB or the Children's Centre um, so, so it's really a case of how does the message get out? Good point. Um, well there have been several meetings around the district, in fact when the Oxford District Council helped to set this up, one of the points that was made was this was to be a Nuttlesford wide food bank not just a Saffron Walden food bank. It took a while to settle down in Saffron Walden then we found the place in Dunmo where the next largest town which gave us further coverage and then Takeley. It's a little more problematic when you go further south down in the area because there isn't a, a specific large settlement which seems the natural hub for them to come into. I think wherever another place was put we'd still have the problem of people having to travel to it or of setting up some sort of transport system. Uh, if you look at sort of 109 people coming and the number of times they've come, that's not that many each week to justify a large transport system. Um, what we would, I think, be looking at here is a sort of a strategic stock of long-dated food which could be left maybe with a church down in the Roding, somewhere like that, and which they could then play a part in distribution in their area. But certainly we've had people from down the south and sometimes we deal with this by doing deliveries to the doorstep when they can't get themselves to Dunmo, Takeley or Saffron Walden. Yeah, certainly we'd like to continue the expansion and we're very aware there must be people out there we're not reaching because of the travelling problems. It's interesting that when it was only Saffron Walden we had a few clients who came up from Dunmo. And so we thought, well, there's probably some people in Dunmo we'll put some food down there and see how it goes. So we gave the Dunmo Centre what we thought would keep them going for a good while, but there was certainly an unanswered demand because we restocked them three times in the first week. So that's now settled down a bit in Dunmo, they run at about 16%, mainly South Dunmo rather than North Dunmo. And so we do feel if we go into an area we are likely to uncover um, previously untapped problems. So we've been now involved in 
sending out last week to all GPs in Uttlesford details of how to register as referrers, when the centres are open, how we work, and we're going to expand that to all schools, all churches, and we work quite closely with the local papers. Councillor Light. Thank you. Um, very interesting presentation, but very sad to see that there is such a need for the food banks uh, in the local area. I was wondering uh, what sort of um, rural poverty there might be that would be well hidden within the villages that you're not able to access at the moment, if people are not able to come in, if you have any indication. It's rather difficult to say what it is if it's hidden, um, almost by definition. Certainly when we've had requests for help in Farrow, we've gone to them. It's difficult to gain figures which might give us a more accurate idea. When I took over as coordinator, one thing I did was look through the national figures of the Trussell Trust, focused on East Anglia, saw what percentage there was being served by other food banks in East Anglia, and said, well, if this is their average for this only per thousand, then ours will be this. I sent the figures to the social service, Essex Social Services and said, would they like to comment on how accurate my figures were? Thinking someone would pick up the phone and we'd have a chat because we're on the same side. And some while later I got a, a thank you for your freedom of information request, <laughs> which I thought, no, but never mind. And the single line, we do not refer people to food banks. So I went back to them and said, OK, this is now a freedom of information request. If someone comes to you and says they can't afford food, if you don't refer them to food banks, what do you do? And about a fortnight later, I got a reply, we refer people to food banks. But we don't make notes of it, so we don't, can't help you with the figures. So if anybody here who represents a rural area of Saffron Warden, of um, Uttlesford, and given the nature of the area, it's hard for you not to at some point, and you have information, please share it with us. Councillor Barker. Could I just ask, um, we have a travelling play school bus, the Bucky yes. bus. Do you liaise with them? I mean, they do go to some of our more isolated communities, and I just wondered if information on the food bank was on board. That's a valuable suggestion. I'll follow it up. <laughs> Anyone else? No? Thank you very much for your Thank time. You. Thank you. <coughs> Uh, I will just briefly move on to Chairman's announcements. I don't have too much to say. Um, I've been quite busy out and about with lots of events over the last little while. Certainly um, there's a fair few in the run-up to Christmas. Um, but I did attend the Staff Long Service Awards and John's um, leaving lunch last week and just wanted really to say thank you to the staff who raised £220 for my Chairman's Charities through their raffle and also wanted to thank all of those members who attended my Christmas Carol service earlier on in the week where we raised another £340 towards my um, two chosen charities. So thank you very much. Um, I won't um, hog the mic for much longer. So um, moving on to reports from the leader and members of the executive. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Chairman. Uh, I don't want to hog the microphone uh, either. Um, just running through very quickly um, the three big items that uh, 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 the Council is facing at the moment uh, is the budget which my 
colleague Councillor Howell will, will cover, but one thing I will mention is that on Jan the 11th there is a members workshop and I really, really do encourage you to come along to that because um, we pass through choppy waters as you're going to hear in a moment and uh, I think it would be very helpful if everybody was uh, totally familiar with the, with the situation. The local plan, um, as you know, the consultation has finished, the call for sites has been published, um, there have been now three members briefings, uh, the uh, local uh, plan working group um, met again yesterday and its next meeting is uh, in the second half of January so that process carries on. There will be another members briefing. I think you're totally up to speed at the moment but um, we will obviously um, stay very, very closely in touch with all members on that. And finally devolution. Um, I don't think you want a long uh, discussion on that tonight but I have circulated to all members uh, the papers from the last um, devolution meeting. So everybody is totally familiar with what's being discussed uh, in Chelmsford and as I've stressed to you all no decision will ever be taken until um, it's uh, being considered by this council. So the purpose at the moment is that, that you are familiar with the subjects that are being put forward and shaped uh, have an opportunity to feed into those and there has been some good feed in in terms of the robustness of the um, in potential increase in growth in Essex and uh, uh, I can announce that a Greater Essex Independent Economic uh, Commission has been established chaired by Andrew Sentence and will be fully staffed by independent mainly university figures uh, just to determine uh, the, 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 um, the growth potential um, and the detail within Essex. Coincidentally, um, the London Stansted Cambridge Consortium have also set up a similar thing, which some of you are familiar with, but obviously that uh, geography is, uh, is basically from Peterborough down to London, including uh, the West Essex, uh, whereas the uh, Greater Essex um, Commission uh, covers the county of Essex. Um, other points, um, colleagues, uh, Dawn French, um, our new Chief Executive joins us on the 29th of February. And just to remind you that uh, John is our Chief Executive. He's uh, obviously using leave at the moment, but he is our Chief Executive until the 6th of February. Um, oh, January, sorry. Yes, absolutely, January. Um, I am not um, comfortable that we've, we haven't made any progress with the successor to area forums and I've therefore asked that Councillor Ranger, who is Chair of the Constitution Working Party, takes on that brief and I know he will put uh, energy and dynamism behind that. It will obviously be done on a cross-party uh, cross basis and we look forward to progress around that. And finally, I'm starting to get a little bit of feedback about... Um, training and the, um, uh, the adequacy of training for new members and I'm going to suggest that we have again a cross-party group that look at that um, and uh, try and fill in the gaps that uh, members uh, may feel exist at the moment. So we'll follow that through as well. Uh, I think that's probably enough. Chairman, very happy to take questions. Any questions for Howard? Uh, Councillor Gleeson. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity to ask uh, about the publication of the results of the call for sites, which was announced on December the 7th. Uh, there was no warning that the results were going to be released that day. Uh, was there no way that councillors or group leaders at least could have been made aware that the results were going to be published then, so those of us with parish council meetings that night could have had a bit more time to prepare for it? 
It, uh, December the 7th was advertised uh, certainly by, in one of Mr Payne's uh, briefings. It was discussed at the uh, local plan um, uh, working group. So it was very much in the public domain and we'd always promised the community, the council and everybody else that as soon as the um, consultation finished we would publish that. So I'm sorry that you weren't aware but I think it was in the public domain but point taken Next time something like that uh, happens, we will make doubly sure that everybody is aware. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I think um, Councillor Dean had his hand up, but I would prefer just to move on to Simon's report before we move to questions. Thank you. Madam Chairman, Councillors, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to give members uh, a briefing on the announcement that was made in the Chancellor's Autumn Statement on the 25th of November and the impact that that has on, on our budget. Um, the issues are fairly complex actually and, and the importance of it I think warrants uh, a more detailed briefing tonight than I would perhaps normally do at this stage in, in the financial calendar and to give you some context um, our budget is about £10 million so the numbers I mentioned from now on in have an impact on a £10 million budget at a macro level and, and this is set out in the paper that I've said, uh, provided to you um, the government are indicating that the funding that they provide local authorities are likely to reduce in, 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 in the near term by about 46% in cash terms. Uh, they are, however, forecasting increased revenues from business rates. They are assuming that all councils can, will apply an annual 2% increase in council tax and they're also making some assumptions about growth going forward. And, and based on that, the, at, a, at a macro level, it's clear that they believe that the actual funding for local government will go up by about £200 million. But what is also clear is that the impacts will be most severely felt by district councils. There's a clear change in the balance of government funding from district councils to county councils, and in particular funding of social care. And I think we can all understand the context of why the government is doing that, but clearly it impacts on our budget. Uh, and you will be aware uh, of some uh, research published by SIPFA, which indicates that in one particular area, we, Uttlesford, are likely to be the, the most severely affected. The challenge around new homes bonus is the expectation that that will reduce by two-thirds. Um, so effectively, it costs the government about 1.2 billion a year as a form of funding, and they're going to reduce that by 800 million pounds. Uh, I've sought to, to, to try and model what that might look for our budget uh, on page 28. Uh, I'll come to the detail of that and what impact we now know it's likely to have, but you can see on the table on page 28 that were the, the funding reduction to take place as, as proposed, that would represent a very significant reduction in our new homes bonus income. Um, there are a number of other elements. Um, the business rates uh, has been previously announced that business rates is something that, uh, that local authorities will be able to um, to, to retain up to 100% of that. Um, there's been no subsequent update on that and the timing of this is also unclear. Uh, it looks unlikely that the income that we earn from our improved or increased in business rates are going to is going to arrive at the same time as our income from new homes bonus declines. Um, 
I also anticipate, based on the advice from officers, that, that we will retain business rates in return for taking on additional responsibilities. I've identified in the paper the area where, where officers believe we're most likely to take on new responsibilities. And, and my judgment, expectation, is that we're unlikely to be better off at the end of the exercise. Um, Today, there's been a written statement uh, published by ministers, and that gives some clarity on some of the issues. Uh, there's a copy of, that, uh, of, a, of a short paper on, on the desks in front of you. Um, some things have been cleared up. Some things remain completely unclear. Um, and I don't believe we will be in a position to have a final view on the impact of these matters by the time that we present our budget uh, to Cabinet on the 12th of uh, January. Um, it's important, however, I put, give you some context. It's clear that the new homes bonus for 2016-17 will not be frozen, as is set out on page 28, and will remain as, as is currently the case. So for, for one year at least, the impact has been delayed. The Government has announced that it's going to be consulting on the future look of the new homes bonus. It currently runs over six years, uh, and the suggestion is that they'll reduce that either to four years, to three years, or two years. Uh, again, the impact as set out on page 28 looks to be fairly accurate. Um, the other thing that's come out of the Government's uh, written statement today is that the revenue support grant, which we are expecting to have ended by 2019-20, uh, will be accelerated and it now looks as though it will end by 2017-2018 and the impact on our budget in the first year of that in 16-17 is in the region of about half a million pounds. Um, there is a workshop on the 11th of January as, as the leader has mentioned. The uh, budget will go to Cabinet in its, in its preliminary form on the 12th of January. Um, I'm very much of the view that we are in a position to accommodate the announcements that have been made today and next year's budget is something that we can manage. I'm however very conscious of the challenge that we face as an organisation thereafter in 2017 and 2018. And I'm reminded of a comment by, I think it was Warren Buffett, who said that being able to predict the rain is not the clever bit, it's actually being able to build the ark. And I, I have spent time setting this out to give you the context of the scale of the challenge that we face over the, over the longer term. I don't think there is a challenge in the forthcoming year, 16-17, but thereafter, um, I believe that councillors will need to apply themselves to how we address these issues. Um, I'll happily provide as much update as I can when I become aware of it. Thank you, Councillor Howell. Does anyone have any questions at this point before we move on to members' questions? Anything specific about the report? No? Okay. Thank you. Then moving on um, to members' questions. Councillor Dean. I was going to ask a question about the um, community engagement point, but as I prompted uh, the leader of the council last night, he's kindly answered it that uh, it is going to, the task group that we set up in June, which hasn't yet met, is going to be rejuvenated by Councillor Ranger. So we uh, look forward to January next year. Uh, my, my question, the leader of the council ma made reference to devolution 
and um, we had a, a meeting, the, the Lib Dem group had a meeting with him on the 3rd of December, and I'm not going to go over that, but I, it's only today that I've been trying to find out from other parts of Essex what's going on, and I guess, I guess what I've come up with is, are, are a number of points as to whether uh, Councillor Rolf is, is aware of these things and whether he's got any comments on them. Um, the first one was that the first point was that Hampshire have had their this is what I'm told that Hampshire have had their proposal turned down uh, and that, how, that Hampshire's proposal included um, uh, an intention to increase um, housing building beyond their um, uh, strategic their schmar figures the, the, the objectively assessed figure uh, and despite that, they hadn't increased it enough, so it's been turned down. Now, as I understand it, uh, the Essex proposal, as it stands at the moment, is to go with the sorts of numbers that we have been considering here. In other words, the, the standard figure that comes out of the uh, Schmar assessment. So on that basis, does, does that not make Essex's present proposal look a bit shaky? There seems to be... Uh, almost an interpretation on this that the government's trying to uh, drive up housing numbers even further and almost using devolution as a, as a substitute for new homes bonus. So I wonder whether uh, Councillor Rolf has a, a view on that. And the other, the other point really relates to a view that seems to be out there across Essex that there's a, a widespread wariness of getting into bed with in, into an arrangement with Essex County Council to the extent that uh, the southern unitaries want to go their own way in some way and that the councils around the Haven Gateway which is Colchester uh, and I, I won't name any others but I understand Colchester, maybe Malden, uh, would be more interested in joining in with Suffolk and Norfolk uh, as an alternative and my understanding is that the um, that the legislation allows cross-county -boundary, boundary arrangements. So I, I just wonder whether that has featured in this, and I suppose if that is a, an option, then does it mean we could go off with Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire or something, if it made more sense? Uh, I, I know we discussed that way back when we were talking about local government reorganisation and Stansted Airport and Bishop Stortford with this area has got links with Cambridge. So, in other words, it just seems to me that there are a number of th more things in the melting pot that might need to be considered and, and does the leader have a, either a view or knowledge of these things at the moment? Okay, thank you, uh, Chairman. Um, as far as uh, Hampshire and housing is concerned, there's uh, absolutely no intention uh, by Essex to increase uh, the levels that are in the, their its, uh, constituent uh, local plans. But there is a difference between uh, numbers and rate of build, and we know that in, um, in, in Uttlesford. I mean, we built last year at around 400 houses, um, and uh, our target obviously is 568. TBC, but of that sort of order. And that's consistent uh, across Essex as it's consistent across the country. Um, and the country's building at about 125 when it should be building at 240,000 houses a year. So I think that, that there is a, that the government is extremely keen to increase the rate of build, and it's not necessarily about increasing the number. But you will be aware, I'm sure, because it's been in the media, 
that Braintree Tendering and Colchester uh, are in discussion uh, about single settlements and the use of the garden development principle and that government has given them, uh, I understand, about £700,000, Mr Harper, uh, to, uh, to support that initiative. Um, and um, so... As we've said all along, we don't, and it's a bit like uh, what Councillor Howell's been talking about in terms of the, um, the general finance situation, we don't know the sticks and the carrots that are going to come through this, um, and we can only surmise, but uh, certainly I, I think, uh, I, as I say, I think it's about increasing the rate rather than necessarily any more. Um, Getting into bed in, with Essex, this is absolutely not about Essex, it's not an Essex-driven thing. I mean, they are the county, they provide quite a bit of the secretariat, but this is, as you will have read the governance paper, very much one member uh, uh, from each uh, constituent part on the board. So it's not an, an Essex initiative. The Southern Unitaries are playing their part at the moment, and, and so is Colchester, which, as you know, is a, a, a Liberal Democrat uh, um, district, and um, the leader there is very active in the process. Cross-boundary, uh, I'll have to just uh, understand a little bit uh, more of that. I don't think there's any desire at the moment from any other parts of uh, uh, Essex to go off and cross-boundary, but uh, I'll certainly inquire of that and to see whether that shaping is starting to happen around the country. I don't think it has yet, but the potential for it is uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on. But um, as we've said previously, at these, uh, nobody's going to make their mind up till they know the detail. Um, so it's a... It's, it's, it's a three-way process. Um, the detail has got to be uh, satisfactory to uh, the constituent parts of Essex, and it's perfectly possible that of the 15 uh, bodies, it could be that 13 go uh, with it and uh, one or two don't. That's, that's allowed within the rules. What happens to those two, I would hate to imagine, but that is, that is possible. So, first of all, you've got to get that, and then, of course, you've got to have the proposition that suits the bodies of Essex to suit the government, which is why it is a, um, an ongoing process to make sure that uh, uh, on both sides of the equation we're trying to stay in line. I hope that begins to answer your question. I just come back with a supplementary, if I may. I, uh, Councillor Rolf said that the, the government seems to be interested in increasing the rate of build of housing, but not the total. What I don't understand is how you could increase the rate of build and not end up with a higher total. So I think perhaps we need to find out a bit more. Well, very simply, because uh, we, we know what our targets are. We know that that's not the final number because we haven't finished the duty to cooperate discussion, but I think the Council's very familiar with where we are on house numbers. So I don't necessarily think... So you, 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 we are behind the curve in terms of what we're building at the moment. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's possible to have uh, both statistics, actually, um, because that, is, that, 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 that situation is consistent across Essex. Maybe for reasons that are beyond our control in terms of capacity within the construction industry, um, etc. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a contradiction. Thank you. Are there any, any other questions? No, so moving on then to um, item 8, um, to consider the Local Council Tax Support Scheme. Councillor Howell. Madam Chairman, councillors, thank you very much. Um, the council is required to uh, consult annually on the Local Council Tax Support Scheme. Um, this is a decision that the full council is required to take. The current system was introduced in 2013-14. Um, 
As a council, we have used our resources to support the scheme. It has been the policy of this council to phase in um, the council tax support scheme over an extended period. It's taken a little bit of time to get familiar with what we mean when we use some of the figures about the contribution rate. <coughs> the 12.5% contribution rate refers to the amount that we require or ask um, a recipient of the benefit to contribute towards their local council tax. Um, as a council, we have chosen to ensure that pensioners uh, do not pay, pension, eligible pensioners, I beg your pardon, eligible pensioners do not pay the local council tax. And similarly, we have sought to um, support protected individuals. Those protected claimants are typically blind, the disabled, and their carers. We do call upon uh, recipients of local council tax support now to make a contribution of 12.5%. When the scheme was introduced, the rate was set at 8.5%. In 2014-15, we increased it to 12.5. We froze it in 15-16, and this proposal is to continue to freeze it for another year. Um, we also, and it's set out in the paper, provide a fairly substantial discretionary subsidy to parish and town councils uh, to ensure that they do not, uh, are not affected detrimentally by the changes in the, uh, the electoral role and the, the, the total uh, base on which local council tax is, um, is calculated. For historic reasons, we also count, uh, consult on the council tax discounts, um, but they are, they, although they are an important consultation, they, they are not something that we are required to do each year. Um, the results of the consultation are not attached to this paper, but they have gone to scrutiny and they've gone to Cabinet. They made very, very interesting reading. They ran to over 100 pages. Um, over 1,000 people responded to the consultation, uh, and I'd like to thank the, the community for taking the time to do that. It was very interesting reading their comments. I understand that it was the best engagement we've ever had as a council of an exercise like this. Uh, the results were interesting in their own right. There was very strong support for continuing to support the protected categories. Uh, there was less strong support for the rate of 12.5%, although a majority continued to support the Council's proposal for a freeze. If you read the narrative and the comments that were made, there was a very clear identification of the fact that Uttlesford's policy, and it's set out on page 11 compared to, I'm oh, sorry, on, on, on number 11, on page 33 of the papers, is very different to the approach that has been adopted by other councils across Essex. Our contribution rate of 12.5% mark is markedly different to those of other councils. I'm very proud of the compassionate approach that Uttlesford has chosen. Um, I believe it has been the right thing to do. I think over the last four years, we as a, as a community, we as a council, can be proud of the decisions that we've taken. I recognise, however, that it is paid for by the rest of the community. Uh, and we, we do have to recognise that everything that we give comes from our, our, our neighbours, our residents. And we also need to remind ourselves that local council tax support effectively operates as a cliff. You can be entitled to your 12.5% contribution, 
or you can have to pay 100%, and the difference may be a very, very small amount in a bank account. And so we need to be aware that there are many people who receive no benefit under this who may feel that actually their circumstances are marginally different from those who do receive the, the, the uh, effectively 87.5% uh, subsidy. Um, we also need to be aware that there is a significantly increasing burden uh, of this on, on us. Um, I, my previous presentation, I think, gives you some context to that. Um, but I very much endorse the proposal that we continue to freeze uh, our council tax support for a further year, and I look for other councillors to support that too. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, does anyone have any questions? No? So we have a proposal and a seconder. Go straight to the vote. All those in favour? Thank you. So moving on then to um, items 9 and 10, joint arrangements and items from committees. I don't believe we've received anything on either of those items. Then moving forward to item 12, um, notice of motion to consider a motion on the key Keir appeal decision, cost submitted by Councillor Lodge. Um, there are a number of members who have declared a pecuniary interest. Are you leaving the room? Thank you. <coughs> Chairman, if I may, I would like to uh, speak to this, but uh, I'm then very happy to leave the room since I'm a member of the Town Council. Can I have a, a direction on that, please? Chairman, members with a pecuniary interest, which is not a disclosable pecuniary interest, and this isn't, um, are entitled to speak but must withdraw afterwards. Okay. So, uh, can I just ask some clarity then on the order in which this is going to happen? Councillor Lodge proposes the motion, then Councillor Freeman will speak, and then I would like to ask Mr Harbour to speak. Thank you. Um, I understand we need a seconder for the motion before. Um, thank you. On the on the issue of the second, I understand that Councillor Dean will uh, will second that and will speak later. Um, so the, the the motion you will you will, you will have seen the uh, the papers that the motion is to reimburse Saffron Walden Town Council that is for this council to uh, reimburse the the expenses incurred by Saffron Walden Town Council in defending the appeal from Keir Holmes uh, for um, for the appeal against the decision of the planning committee um, of this council. Now, you, you will be aware, and just, just for a little bit of history, because I know some, some, some people are new, and in fact, myself, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a member of that, uh, that planning committee when the decision was made. So, uh, to give you the history of this, Keir Homes applied for 300 homes to the, um, to the northeast of, uh, of Thaxted Road. Uh, it was considered by uh, what I mentioned is, is the quasi-judicial planning committee of this council and the decision was to, uh, to turn down that, uh, that development. Um, 
as often happens as we see more and more, the developer will appeal on a, on, on a range of grounds and uh, in fact that did happen. Care Homes put in a formal uh, appeal against the decision of the planning committee here um, and it was decided that uh, the, the planning inspector decided that uh, they would hold a full hearing and if memory serves me correct I think this went on for about two weeks so there was a, a tremendous amount of effort uh, and money had to be expended into defending the appeal um, now then again for those members who, who weren't in, in the previous council uh, the, the, the decision not to defend the, the appeal um, is very, very unusual. I would think it's something of the order of 99 point something percent of decisions of planning committees are defended by the District Council. Um, that decision was not sent back to the quasi-judicial system, which you think might well be logical to happen. It did not go back to them. Uh, there was um, a recommendation came to full council uh, that the defence would not happen. Uh, and this was done on the basis of, uh, I believe, possibly two legal opinions. And the two legal opinions, as presented to the council, were that the uh, decision was not defensible, not defendable or defensible under planning law. Now also, as I understand it, for those members who are not here, um, the um, officers and the cabinet refused to give that evidence to this council. So uh, a, um, a very clear motion was, was put forward on, on the basis uh, which they were not allowed to see. So, um, whilst I'm sure there was no deliberate attempt to mislead the council, I don't believe the council was able to make a logical and reasonable decision as whether or not to defend that appeal. And it's very much my assertion that the quasi-judicial committee, once it makes that decision, should be backed up by the council. That should be a fundamental part of local democracy. Um, the um, uh, advice, as I said, was, was not presented to the council, and so to agree, this council decided blind. Subsequent to that, I think most of you will be aware, the appeal took place. Saffron Walden Town Council uh, defended that with their own legal and uh, planning uh, people, and uh, contrary to the advice which came to this council, contrary to that advice, the decision was upheld. So there were planning, very good planning reasons for the, uh, uh, for, the, for the appeal not to be allowed and the decision of uh, this planning committee was in fact correct. As a result, Saffron Walden Townsel, Town Council, and we can get the precise figure, in fact I put 47,000, I now understand it was 43,000 pounds which Saffron Walden Town Council expended uh, in the defence. Um, and this, in fact, contrasts to the estimate which was given to Council for Ottleslip to defend it of £150,000. So if this motion is passed, you could actually look upon it as saving £107,000. 
and I very strongly recommend that this motion is approved tonight and that Saffron Walden Town Council is very fairly reimbursed for the work that it did on behalf of this council, working for this council and the residents of the district. Thank you, sir. Councillor Freeman. Thank you, Chairman, for allowing me to speak. Um, I serve on a quasi-judicial committee, the planning committee here, but it's not my first occasion. In the previous administration, I was the vice chair of licensing, and I served on development control, as it was then called. And I was part of the team that determined the Stansted Airport second runway application, so I'm no stranger to quasi-judicial processes. Um, and it deeply concerns me when a council is not willing to support its quasi-judicial committees. Of course, it brings the whole process into suspicion. The whole idea, and I stand to be corrected on this, I'm sure I will be, uh, of a quasi-judicial committee is it acts on a, a, a legal basis and it is the body qualified and trained to do this. And it should not be countermanded just because Cabinet or the Council gets a decision that it doesn't like. Otherwise, Madam Chairman, when we refuse the second runway at Stansted Airport, somebody could have said, well, we don't believe in that. We'll co we, we, we simply will uh, overturn that decision of the Development Control Committee uh, because there's an awful lot of money at stake or whatever. You cannot, in my view, countermand the decisions which have been delegated to a special committee for that purpose. And that is essentially what happened here. The council or cabinet or whatever chose to countermand uh, the decision of its planning committee. I think that's a very bad principle. It's an extremely dangerous thing. And that's where it would have remained, Madam Chairman, were it not for the fact that Saffron Warden Town Council, which has a, an income of less than a million pounds a year, uh, a mere peppercorn compared to Uttersford District Council, decided to pick up uh, this case itself and pay for it out of its own pocket in support of some others. Uh, and that, Madam Chairman, is sending a boy to do a man's job. It's this council's job to determine these applications. That's why we have a quasi-judicial planning committee. You shouldn't have to expect a little parish council, a town council somewhere, to make up for the um, decisions that you have perhaps we have um, incorrectly made. Now, you took two councils, I don't know if they were Queen's Council, but they would have been expensive, opinion. Uh, we don't know what that opinion was. Uh, we don't know what it cost, but it came out of the public purse and it's not available to anybody outside of this chamber, outside of this council even. Uh, but those opinions, Madam Chairman, were proved to be wrong. The inspector found in favour of the refusal. The inspector supported your own quasi-judicial committee and found against the decision of the unqualified council in this matter. And I think that's an extremely bad principle. It's a very bad principle, Madam Chairman, because it undermines public confidence in this council, public confidence in the planning process. Now, I know... In a council, people tend to live in a bubble. It's a miniature version of the Westminster bubble. Perhaps it doesn't matter. But folks that are elected, that stand on doorsteps, come every day of the week into contact with the electors, realise that actually such judgments have a very damaging effect on people's confidence in the process and people's confidence in democracy. So 
That's my point of view on this, Madam Chairman. I have experience of serving on quasi-judicial committees. One expects a council to support its quasi-judicial committee. It's the great shame that that hasn't happened in this case. Thank you for letting me speak. I'm going to ask Mr Harper to speak, then the motion will need to be seconded and then, if that's the case, I will take questions or comments. Thank you, Chairman. Um, what I'm going to do is offer you some contextual remarks uh, to inform your debate on this motion. The Planning Act provide an opportunity for any party to an appeal to make a claim for costs from another party if it can demonstrate that the other party acted unreasonably. Saffron Warden Town Council didn't make such an application for an award of costs. Keir did, but its costs application was refused. The inspector's decision on Keir's claim included a conclusion that the council acted reasonably in quickly responding to the appeal being lodged by informing the applicants that it was not going to contest the appeal before statements of case were due. The need for review is in part a sensible ongoing case management, he said, although it should not be assured for councils to reverse unreasonable decisions. The Town Council didn't successfully defend the decision of the Planning Committee, as the motion suggests. The Town Council's case only overlapped in part with the reasons for refusal adopted by the Planning Committee. The Inspector's principal reason for dismissing the appeal was his finding of a significant negative factor in the planning balance exercise. That was his conclusion of the effect of the proposal on the efficient operation of the local highway network. This was not one of the Planning Committee's reasons for refusal, because the Planning Committee had quite reasonably accepted the advice of the Highways Authority that the impact um, could be acceptably mitigated through conditions and obligations. At the time of determining the application and considering the Council's potential case at the appeal inquiry, the context for the proposals was the submission draft local plan which included provision of a full link road from Radwinter Road to Thaxted Road and other junction improvements. By the time the appeal inquiry and subsequent decision, the draft local plan had been withdrawn and with it the basis for securing the delivery and funding of a traffic management package solution. Other aspects of the Town Council's case at the appeal inquiry, the impact of the development on the character and appearance of the area and on air quality and local infrastructure and services and the sustainability of the site's location were not found to represent unacceptable harm. The third point is that functions related to town and country planning and development control are council functions. These functions are delegated to the planning committee but are also exercisable by the full council. In deciding not to contest the appeal, the Council was fully informed by two opinions from Council who had independently reviewed the planning evidence. And for those members who were not on the Council at the time, uh, 
all members of the Council did have full copies of the advice from uh, Council uh, and Council's reasoning. In support, in so, sorry, in summary, the Town Council didn't avail itself of the appropriate opportunity at the end of the planning inquiry to seek to demonstrate that the planning authority had acted unreasonably and pursue a claim for its costs. And the planning authority acted reasonably in deciding not to seek to substantiate its reasons for refusal, having taken into account Council's advice. Should Council support the motion, Council would need to determine where the money would come from, as it would be unbudgeted expenditure. The planning reserve cannot be used to refund third parties' costs. The planning reserve was established for costs incurred by this Council in respect of three specific areas, Stansted Airport Studies, Planning Appeals and the Local Plan. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Harborough. I've got Councillor Hargreaves, Councillor Susan Barker, and then Councillor Lachlan. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm advised that the motion needs to be seconded first. Councillor Dean. Thank you. Councillor Hargreaves. Uh, thank you. This is not just about, it's not just about money. Um, the people of Saffron Walden had to take on a task that they had never done before. A lot of people had to do a lot of learning and spend a lot of their time working on the appeal and doing work that they believed that this, this council should have done. And then to add further insult, a lot more residents via the town council had to club together and pay the appeal bills that this council should have paid. Uh, and the town council took a risk uh, with their cash. So it annoyed residents and it still annoys them now uh, and if nothing is done it, it will continue to irritate. Um, I, I think this is not such the matter of the, the technicalities that we've just heard. I think it's more a matter of morals, a matter of right and wrong. Uh, and this council is perceived to have behaved uh, badly in this matter uh, and it's a continuing embarrassment. Um, however, th this evening um, we have an opportuni opportunity to obtain some closure. Uh, we can't repay the people for the time that they have spent, but we can put right the, the financial side. So my conclusion is that it will be a very astute move for us to, to do the right thing and to be seen to do the right thing uh, and therefore I'm saying please accept this motion and let's just put the matter behind us. Thank you Councillor Barker. Thank you Chairman. Chairman in 2014 this council voted to submit its local plan for inspection. The plan included a number of sites including the Keir site in Saffron Walden. The subsequent refusal of that application against the officer's recommendation by the planning committee lost Saffron Walden the opportunity for some of the infrastructure residents asked for in terms of a link road, a site for a school and some wonderful community facilities. This district council chose not to defend Keir's challenge to this refusal. This was after taking legal advice that was, contrary to what Councillor Lodge has said, seen by council members. The advice was by necessity, as the opinion was sensitive, it was in part two. Part two meant it was in private session. 
to share publicly the legal opinion by our legal advisers over whether or not we should defend this appeal would have been farcical. Indeed, defending this would also have meant the officers who had recommended this site for approval, recommended putting forward this site in the local plan, having to argue about the very reasons that they thought that this site was sustainable. Chairman, this motion asks us to reimburse Saffron Walden Town Council, a standalone elected precepting authority for a decision they made and cost that they knowingly and willingly incurred. I think this council was correct not to defend Keir's appeal and that we should reject this motion. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Lachlan. I've, I've got a number of people. We'll stick to the order. Thank you. Right. Well, I'm reminded of Mandy Rice Davis. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, I was on that planning committee, as were four other people here, and I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know how they voted. Um, what I do know, and I think perhaps Councillor Barker doesn't understand, that officers recommend the, counts, the uh, planning committee make the decision. They don't have to go with officers' recommendation, and sometimes they don't. And uh, talking about highways for Mr Harborough, they are a consultee the same as any other, and as has been the case on quite a few occasions lately, they have been wrong. But we did listen to them, and obviously that was taken into account, and it didn't come up in the decision. But I had to sit here, uh, and when we went into part two, I have to say, for this, so no members of the public were able to... Uh, um, exercise their democratic right, they weren't allowed to hear what we or anybody else had to say. The committee decided against the application. That was their right, and that was what they thought was right. We then had to come to this council, the whole planning committee, and we were, vin we were vilified and told that more or less we didn't know what we were talking about, which was humiliating. The decision in the end was made by four council, none of them planners, none of them on the planning committee. I've been on the planning committee for 14 years, so know something, as I'm sure others do as well. But we went to two independent barristers, both gave the same advice, both very expensive. We chose not to listen to that. The proposer and the seconder would have defended that appeal, and as it turned out, they would have won. But no, the council offered no help. They wouldn't defend the appeal. They said it was undefendable, which actually proves that the council isn't always right. It was reprehensible. It was humiliating. And that those councillors who didn't get elected last time but were on that planning committee should be feeling pretty proud of themselves to know that they actually made the right decision, as the planning committee often do. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Lachlan. Um, I have councillors Ranger, Hicks, Chambers and Howell. Thank you, Chairman. I'll be brief because um, Councillor Barker um, must have been reading my notes because it's virtually verbatim what I was going to say. Um, a committee decision on planning is a matter of the members' opinion at the day, and uh, my opinion was that with the site in consideration being within our draft local plan, it was madness to... Uh, 
do anything but approve the uh, application. And that's what the legal uh, advice gave us, that direction that the council um, would be working against itself. Um, what saddens me about the, the whole episode is that people who purport to represent residents um, influenced some committee members for whatever reason they were led. Um, I know not because I can't read their minds. Um, but residents of Athelsford are already losing out because of that decision. As Councillor Barker pointed out, school, traffic improvements and sports facilities. How can a, a group of people who claim to represent residents act in such an insular matter, manner on, on such an important matter? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Councillor Hicks. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I think I'd, I'd like to say, first of all, that I'm speaking as a member of that planning committee that uh, um, the um, John, uh, Councillor John Lodge in front of me and his colleague um, referred to in such uh, um, high-minded terms that they, uh, it's a, uh, um, a committee which should be above politics. In fact, during the period when this decision was taken, the membership of the planning committee was such that when a decision involving Saffron Warden was discussed, it was not above politics. There were members who were... There were members. I'm not, I didn't interrupt you, Councillor Luckley. You so cannot just say allow that. me to speak. No, please. because... Please. No, that's just Councilor not Luckley, right, and it's not fair. We're all throwing You cannot our speak around. for them. They're not here. Enough. Thank you. Councillor Hicks, continue. In my opinion, there were members of that planning committee whose uh, aims and objects in being there were not uh, an independent decision about where and how housing should be placed in Uttlesford for the good of the district. They were there solely to represent the sectarian interests of a group that was determined that Saffron Warden would not have any further um, uh, growth apportioned to it. And, uh, uh, <laughs> so are you. And uh, I would like to say that that decision that was taken that by that committee was not a democratic one, as uh, suggested by Councillor Lodge. It was a totally undemocratic one, and it only um, uh, achieved its, the, the end result um, with the assistance of members of um, the planning committee who were Saffron Warden um, town councillors as well as um, district councillors and uh, I think it's they who should um, be um, uh, called to account and uh, shamed uh, over the fact that that decision was arrived at. Thank you. 
Thank you, Councillor Hicks. Um, we have Councillor Chambers, Howell and Jones, but I have to say I'm really beginning to get quite fed up with the behaviour in this chamber at the moment. Um, I would like to hear new comments, um, anything that is not going over all ground, anything that is not insulting members in this room, and I would like to tie this up very quickly now. So, Councillor Chambers, if you have something productive and polite to add, I would like to hear from you. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Uh, I had got something... Uh, which wasn't very polite, so I will refrain from saying that. Can I, can I just say that I was not a member of the planning committee at the time, so I, I did not make a decision on that one way or the other. What I would like to say is that I would like to thank Mr Harborough for pointing out the reasons why the inspector did not totally agree with the Thaxted Road site. There were only on one or two issues which Mr Harborough has pointed out, um, which is not exactly what Councillor Lodge was saying about. But I do think when you have an independent, two independent opinions from Council, and it was taken to full Council, and it was democratically elected on by the members who decided to not contest it, so, Madam Chairman, I would say to you, I think it is rather hypocritical, I'll leave it at that, of the Town Council to put forward, or certainly Mr Lodge to put forward this motion, and I do hope that the Council will reject it this evening. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, I have Councillor Howell, Jones, Lodge, and then we'll conclude with Howard Rolfe. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did, have you raised your hand? Were you ahead of the queue? Okay, thank you. Madam Chairman, I hope that I always have something useful, useful to contribute, and I always hope to be polite. Um, I, I'm very sorry that Councillor Lachlan. Um, uh, well. I'm sorry she's not in the room because it was certainly never my intention as a councillor that she should feel vilified or humiliated, which were the words that she used, um, as a result of the decision of the council not to support the appeal. Um, I'm not a member of the planning committee that took the decision on this. Um, I did, however, sit through much of the week when there was the public, um, when the, the planning committee met and decided on this. I sat at the back for three or four of the afternoons. I saw Mr. Lodge, or Councillor Lodge, in action amongst other people. Um, and I know how challenging and difficult it is for members of the planning committee to make decisions, particularly something which is as controversial as this, uh, as this decision. I was at one of the two full council meetings when this decision was taken, and I spoke in favour uh, of the decision not to defend, defend the, uh, the planning committee's decision. I, I won't repeat the arguments that I used then, because Councillor Artis will strangle me, probably. Um, but I spend a great deal of time in my professional life instructing council, taking people to court, unfortunately, and I have as a rule of thumb that I generally only take people to court when somebody tells me I stand an 80-20 chance of winning. Um, on a couple of occasions, I've ignored that advice because the principles, have, it's irritated me so much, and only on one occasion have I won. The feeling was very, very sweet, but I recognise and absolutely believe that the law is a lottery, 
and you stand your greatest chance of winning if you only fight the battles that you can expect to win. Um, I saw only one of the two opinions uh, from Council, because unfortunately I was on holiday on the second occasion, but I read the council, Council's opinion in full, uh, and it was very emphatic. Um, Councillors didn't like that opinion, because um, you, 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 it was on pink paper, we probably won't be aware of that. They disliked it so much that they actually asked councils for a second, for a second opinion. So they instructed a second set of, 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 of firm of barristers, who came back, I believe, but I wasn't there and didn't, didn't see it, with similar advice. I can only conclude it was similar advice. Um, this is clearly a very infrequent um, occurrence. Uh, my experience of Uttlesford is that we do defend cases. There were very good grounds on this occasion not to do so. Um, I, I, I recognise that I have uh, a duty to respect the opinions of my colleagues, but I do not have a duty to support their decisions. And there are occasions when I don't agree with them, and this was one of the occasions, and I'm sorry that Councillor Lachlan's not here, but it was at no time... Thank you, Chairman. Um, I had a lot of sympathy at the time for the Planning Committee having taken their decision when they felt the Council should be backing them up and ultimately didn't. Nevertheless, I don't find it easy to um, support in any way, shape or form this motion. Uh, the Saffron Walden Town Council took on the onus of um, defending this case on their own account. I'm not aware that there was any discussion with Uttlesford as to their intent, purpose or indeed any discussion about any financial arrangements prior to tonight. There may have been, but as a councillor, I certainly haven't heard of any of them. I do not feel able to commit this council to, part, to uh, pay any part of any fees uh, incurred by any parish or town council within this district, and I think I would speak for all the residents of my patch, totally the Canfields and around that area, in saying I totally oppose this uh, proposition, this motion. Thank you very much, Chairman. Councillor Rolfe. Thank you, Chairman. I'll try and be quick and brief and deal purely with the facts. Um, the first fact is that this Council, which is the supreme body, as has been indicated, um, twice uh, made the decision uh, about this particular site, first to include it in the local plan and then following the set of uh, the advice from two sets of uh, lawyers, as has been indicated by Councillor Howell, um, not to... Um, contest the appeal um, and I think we should be very clear it has been indicated but just to remind ourselves that the reasons as outlined for the planning committee to uh, reject uh, the application in the first place around air quality use of agricultural land outside the development boundaries were totally different to the reasons for the subsequent uh, hearing which of course were in totally different circumstances because by that time the local plan uh, had been withdrawn so it is difficult to equate uh, one occasion with another. Um, so the, the, the facts are that uh, this council made its decision, in fact it made its decision twice um, and um, 
it is perfectly legitimate for Staff and Warden Town Council to do whatever they wanted to do, uh, but they should have gone into that fully aware of the implications, and as already been indicated, they did not apply for cost themselves. So uh, it would be, uh, uh, and I use the word in the correct sense, uh, uh, an extraordinary step for this Council to support this motion. So I strongly recommend Council to reject it. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Rolfe. We have Councillor Dean and then Councillor Lodge will speak before we take a vote. I'm, I'm speaking for, in favour of the motion, although having looked at it, I think if it had said something about this council entering into negotiations with the town council and without being specific about particular amounts of money we might have been able to move forward and Councillor Lodge might like to think about that uh, because I think it is important that relations between this council and the town council are, are rebuilt. Having said that and, and the other thing I will just say is that um, things have been said about sites being in a local plan. The fact that a site is in a local plan doesn't mean that any old application uh, should be approved and, and, and that happens quite often that one refuses one application and another one comes back which is more acceptable so I think the fact that something is in a local plan which at the time was, was the issue that the council was concerned about the um, maintaining its uh, local plan which many of us said was unsound anyway and was approved right in the end I think is a uh, was really the, the real reason behind this that we were trying as a council to defend the indefensible or to defend an indefensible local, account, uh, local plan. But, but I, I do feel that the, um, the council has a, a moral obligation to, uh, to, take, to get something out of this and whether it is to cough up the, in total the allowances, sorry, the, the costs or to enter into negotiations, I think that's for others to decide. But the original decision was, was highly political at the time. I mean, reference has been made to some people being political, but that decision not to defend it was highly political. Uh, and, and in my, my opinion, and I said so at the time, it betrayed the integrity and good judgment of this uh, local authority. And it was also, and I think I'm sure I said it at the time, an insult to the members of the planning committee who had made their own judgment on that application and had reached a democratic decision to refuse the application. And the same applies to the, you know, the people of Saffron Walden who I think normally would expect this council to follow through its decisions and not bottle out for what seemed at the time to be political convenience. And members were proved right uh, on the local plan just one year ago this month. In my opinion, the, the, the decision not to defend it was a waste of time. I think that the, the fees that we paid to the, the lawyers turned out twice, turned out to be a waste of money. Uh, and and that's, this is something that uh, the, the, the council should bear in mind in future because it really did get it spectacularly wrong after the appeal was, uh, well, after the appeal was dismissed and the local plan was dumped. I think there were many, many people involved in that decision, and I'm not going to name anybody, and some of them are no longer here, but um, they, they, they could have, should have done better, and I think they should have stuck to their principles, which 
on almost all other occasions. I, do, I, I think at the time there had been no other, I can't remember actually which came first, the, the decision not to defend the Elsnam appeal or the decision not to do that one, but I think those are the only two occasions that it's happened and it, and it, and it, and it shouldn't. So I, I think that the, this council did leave the town council uh, to do its work on its behalf and, and it did cost them a lot of money. Um, they won and without going into all the ins and outs that Mr Harborough has spelled out, they, they won. Uh, I, we are still in the process of rebuilding trust with the community over the problems that we had over the local plan, remembering that the motto of this council is, it's our community, and we, we should remember that and never forget it. So this council should do the right and proper thing and at least enter into dis negotiations with the town council over what is a, a, an ongoing dispute and sore. Thank you. Councillor Lodge. Uh, Chair, there's been some uh, surprisingly heated uh, discussion over this, uh, and a little more than discussion in, uh, in many ways, and uh, I'm sorry that Councillor Lachlan has, has, has left the chamber. I think that's very unfortunate. Um, I very much welcome Councillor Howell's comments. I think they were, they were put over in a very reasonable and reasonable manner, and I, and I welcome debate taking part in that sort of atmosphere and hope that I could, could do the same at my, myself at all times. But to hear Councillor Hicks saying that the decision of the Planning Committee was not democratic is ludicrous. Uh, to hear Councillor Chambers say of me that I was behaving hypocritically is totally unacceptable and I would, I would like to ask that comment to be withdrawn. I've got a request for a recorded vote. The motion is proposed and seconded. Can I have a fresh form? Thank you. Is he coming back? Janice. Do we, do we want to give it a moment to see if Janice... Will... I'm not allowed to. I'm so sorry. If she comes back in, can I go back to her name at the end? Yes, okay. All right, um, Councillor Anjum. Oh, sorry, she's still in the room. Um, Councillor Artis. YouTube mic. Can we have the mic phone on? Against. Thank you. Councillor Graham Barker. Against. Councillor Susan Barker. Against. Councillor Chambers. Against. Councillor Davy. Against. Councillor Dean. For. Councillor Fairhurst isn't here. Councillor Farthing. Against. Councillor Felton. Against. Councillor Foley. For. Councillor <coughs> Richard Freeman's left the room. Councillor Gleeson. For. Councillor Gordon. Against. Councillor Hargreaves. Four. Councillor Harris against. Councillor Hicks against. Councillor Howell against. Councillor Jones against. Councillor Light four. Councillor Lodge four. 
I'll come back to Janice if she comes in. Councillor Mills. Against. Thank you. Councillor Morris has left. Councillor Oliver. Against. Councillor Parry. For. Councillor Ranger. Against. Councillor Redfern. Against. Councillor Rolfe. Against. Councillor Sell. For. Councillor Wells. Against. Thank you. Chairman, the votes are eight votes for, 18 votes against. The motion is defeated. Thank you. Moving on to item 13, motion on the local police service um, submitted by Councillor Sell and Dean. I don't know who's presenting. Councillor Sell, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chairman. In my comments, I hope to be constructive and polite. You'll be pleased to hear. In my strap heading for my comments, I'd got the vanishing blue line. And I hope that tonight members will do their best to prevent further erosion of that blue line. I would submit that law and order is fundamental to the quality and general well-being that our residents enjoy. The acid test as to whether the proposed changes to Essex Police announced by the Police and Crime Commissioner is will it contribute or detract from our residents' quality of life? The Government's priority is terrorism, cybercrime and organised crime. But is that what you think about when you are in your own home? For many, the reality of crime is what happened to a retired couple living in a small village near Maldon. One evening in January this year, they had um, the misfortune to be burgled and £5,000 in cash and jewellery was stolen. The effect on the couple was severe. Mrs North stated, quote, the house felt as if it had been raped and was now empty. It feels as though all the memories and warm family feelings have been taken. I just felt dirty. I had to go around and detail everything in the house. She continued, We are consistently looking out of the windows, checking the garden day and night. It's having an effect on our health and well-being. As we can't sleep that well, knowing that someone else has been through our belongings we feel alone and vulnerable. The police are one of our emergency services, but should the only time we come into contact with them is when we have been a victim of crime. I suggest that community policing has an important role in tackling crime. People need to see officers on their streets talking to the public and getting intelligence. PCSOs, of which this council, through... Councillor Chambers, uh, we did match fund PCSOs for many years. 
were regular visitors at Stansted Youth Centre, which, again, Stansted Parish Council helped to fund APCSO. They chatted to the young people, building relationships, giving and receiving respect. The PCSOs have not been there for over a year. As one of the staff said, without PCSOs, young people will see the police as someone you call when something bad has happened, not someone that is there to prevent something bad from happening. In this week's Warden Local, there was a report of the retirement of PCSO Chris Barrett, who I haven't met, and it stated that he was one of the first PCSOs when the job was created. And the intention was to give a uniform presence on the streets as a liaison between the community and the police. The role initially was to provide high visibility foot patrols and reassurance within the community and deal with local issues and low level crime. Senior policeman Sir Hugh Ord has written about police having the confidence of the community. He said, quote, if the cops aren't there, that relationship is not being built and we won't get the intelligence, unquote. If the cuts to PCSOs, will, if they go ahead, my fear is that we will see a two-tier policing system in this country, which they have in other countries such as South Africa. This is already happening in Essex. Tiptree Town Council, population of 11,000 residents, has employed a private security firm. Their vice chairman said, quote, we don't know where to turn. This is a last resort, unquote. Tiptree has already lost its police station and dedicated police officers. Whilst at Frinton and Walton, which many of us are familiar with, uh, 400 residents have agreed to pay £2 a week for a private security <coughs> firm to patrol their streets from 7pm to 7am. Good news for some, though. Stephen Beardsley is the boss of security company ASG. He is a former bouncer and a private bodyguard to model Sophie Anderton. He predicts that private security firms will become the norm. He believes that there is a gap between the public and the police. Clearly, it is companies like his who intend to fill it. <coughs> I'm pleased that Saffron Warden Police Station is going to remain open to the public. It will be the only one in Uttlesford. Whether the station stays at its current site or elsewhere, that has to be decided. But what should not be up for discussion is that we need that station to be fit for purpose. The current issue of Neighbourhood Watch says that their surveys tell them that an average of two people per hour use the front counter of Saffron Warden Police Station. Over two separate months, it equated to 551 people. In conclusion, Madam Chairman, I would urge members to support this motion. We have a window of opportunity. The Chancellor, in his wisdom, and I, mean, I think in this case it was wisdom, he decided not to implement the severe cuts to police funding and 
the police and crime commissioner and chief constable are taking the opportunity to decide whether or not the cuts to the PCSOs, which would mean, as is on the motion, really... And, of course, the thing to remember is that those PCSOs that would remain are not just for us, but also shared with Braintree District as well. And I think there's an opportunity for us tonight, collectively, to send a message to the Police and Crime Commissioner and the Chief Constable <coughs> saying that in Uttlesford, we do value local policing. And we have got, as I mentioned earlier, with Council Chambers and Sunset Parish Council, we have got a good record of supporting local police policing. And I would not like that to be gone, and where the police are, as I say, someone you see when there is an incident, and that's it. So, in conclusion, as I say, I would urge members to support this motion and say that Uttlesford values its community policing. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Sell. Do we have a seconder for the motion? Yes, we do. Councillor Dean. Um, Councillor Ranger would like to speak. Thank you, Chairman. Um, while I'm very supportive of uh, the uh, meaning of this motion, I do feel I need to um, propose an amendment um, because I find it uninclusive. Um, Dunmo Town Council, or Dunmo, Great Dunmo, does not have a police station counter um, as of April. The thing to remember in this council is that we're not responsible for the police. They are their own authority. And in their wisdom, they decided to close the police station in the centre of town and build a new uh, station on the edge of town and then wonder why people don't visit the counter because they can't actually get there without catching a bus or driving. So as a community uh, facility, it was non-viable non and it's now due for the station to be not available to the public from April and what happens to the building is anybody's guess. So my proposed amendment would be that the council supports the retention of a manned police station facility in Saffron Walden, Great Dunmo and Stansted. And we write accordingly to the PCC. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Sorry, I'll, I'll Councillor Rolf, I've been advised that we need a seconder for the amendment. Chairman. Councillor Jones, thank you. Sorry, just point of clarification, Chairman. Could we ask the proposer if he will accept the amendment and then we're just talking to one amendment? Yes, uh, thank you, Councillor Barker. I, I've got no problems, and my seconder has no problems in, in accepting the amendment from Councillor Ranger. Um, I have, unfortunately, I'm a bit sceptical as to whether it will be achieved, but in an ideal world, I would entirely support what you've proposed. Let me just talk initially to the, uh, the original motion, and if I can take it in two parts, um, Chairman. Um, I, I mean, the spirit, I support the spirit, 
spirit of it all, but actually you just echoed what I was about to say in terms of what can we reasonably achieve. Um, as far as the second part, retention of a police station staff and warden which is fit for purpose, let me read out a comment from the Police and Crime Commissioner. I am um, pleased that senior police officers are continuing to work with Uttlesford District Council to explore options for shared accommodation in Saffron Walden. Both the Chief Constable and I have been clear that Saffron Walden will retain front counter services and an operational policing base. However, the existing police station building has well publicised problems and it is important we spend public money wisely and effectively. If Essex Police and Uttlesford District Council present a proposal for shared accommodation in a building other than the present police station, and this proposal has clear benefits for the police, the council and local people, then such a proposal will receive urgent consideration. <laughs> this is really positive. Um, and uh, the proposed site is the lodge in our grounds. Uh, the proposal is that we share a front desk. We have a joint police and council front desk. Um, and uh, there will be a continuous police presence. And I think that uh, demonstrates the link between working effectively with the police, retaining a presence in Uttlesford, joining services together. So I think it ticks a number of boxes, and I think we should be supportive of that, because um, if we're realistic, they, they're not going to reopen the current police station. Um, as far as the earlier part is concerned... Uh, I understand where you're coming from, but your figures aren't quite right, I'm afraid. Um, uh, as far as PCSOs are concerned, um, if the proposals go ahead, there will only be six PCSOs covering Braintree and uh, Uttlesford. Um, but, as we know, the police fared better in the autumn statement, uh, and therefore a decision on that proposal has been postponed until early next year. And um, clearly, we want to see as many officers as possible in Uttlesford. And uh, I'm pleased to inform members that this council will be fully funding two additional PCSOs as from the 1st of April 2016, which is what we had in the budget for this year. So it's a continuation. As you've heard from Councillor Howell, we're able next year to carry on with what we've been doing hitherto. So um, I think we're, we're, we're doing what we can to, to support that. But I don't think the figures of 27 to 20 uh, are the reality. As far as um, the, the question of dealing with low-level crime, this is even more complicated uh, because Essex Police's new approach to antisocial behaviour was introduced in July 2015, as you probably know, um, and it recognises that Essex Police get around 55,000 calls about antisocial behaviour, um, and 97% of those uh, are what they term low or medium risk issues. And what they're trying to do is to prioritise the 1,500 calls where there are high risks. And um, uh, the characteristics of antisocial behaviour incidents to which they will respond are vulnerability and or uh, a high risk of threat or harm uh, has been identified. Repeat locations are identified and cause, a risk, uh, and cause a high risk of threat or harm to a person or community. Thirdly, an, officer, an offender is identified who requires police intervention to manage their behaviour. And fourthly, a repeat victim is identified who requires a supportive package to be put in place by police. Now, some of the other things are around noise nuisance, parking enforcement, dog fouling, littering. Now, all irritating things, I absolutely understand. But there are other agents, such as the Parking Partnership, and indeed ourselves, the local authority, who deal with this. So I 
you know, I think, you know, what I was going to suggest before we had a, an, another amendment, and I'll come on to that one in a minute, was that we have, we, we perhaps, I, I, I'm quite happy to support the second part, because I think we've got an answer to that. But whether we shouldn't be thinking about that this council proposes to discuss with the chief superintendent, or whoever, the, the chief inspector Melton, who we particularly relate to, but it can be the chief superintendent, or even the PCC, would be, I'm sure, happy to come to this council if we wanted them to come, um, to discuss with them the level of PCSO support in Uttlesford to gain the best advantage available and to establish an operational plan for low-level crime that involves our partners and protects those most in need. Uh, because I, I, we've just got to have a touch of realism. I mean, it, it, there is an opportunity because the police budget is better than it might have been, so I do think it's worth having that dialogue. Um, but uh, I, I, I doubt that they, they, you know, they've announced their strategy for low-level crime. We're not going to change it, but we, what we can do is to work effectively to make sure that we get the, get the best outcome for residents of Uttlesford. So I would propose that amendment for the, for the first, first half. As far as retaining police stations in Dunmo and Stansted, by all means, try. Um, it's worth a discussion. I, I, I sense it will be a, a, a difficult discussion because the announcement's been made. Uh, but uh, as with uh, everything else, it, it's, it's worth you know, pursuing that option until there's a finally a, a definite no. And we do have the opportunity that they are slightly better <coughs> off than they, than they thought they were going to. So I can, I can support the amend, uh, um, Councillor Rains' amendment and I would propose my own for the first half. It's not that I disagree with you, it's just an, an, another way of going about it. Rolf's amendment. Rolf's amendment. Can you tell us what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let me just read that again. Thank you. This, this council proposes to discuss with the Chief Superintendent the level of PCSO support in Uttlesford to gain the best advantage available and to establish an operational plan for low-level crime that involves partners and protects those in, most in need. And I'm very happy to do that on a cross-party basis. So the discussion that we have, and it, it will probably be through the um, Community Safety Partnership, and I'm sure... Uh, Councillor Gordon may have a few words in a moment, but you, you know, very happy to have, uh, you know, have that discussion across the council. So we have Howard's amendment for the first part, we have Councillor Ranger's amendment for the second part, and you're happy. Good, okay. Councillor Chambers, then Councillor Gordon. Madam Chairman, I'm afraid I was going to um, propose another part to the amendment. I, I, don't, I certainly don't disagree with um, uh, some of the things that Councillor Sellers put forward. Uh, I don't disagree with the uh, amendment by Councillor Ranger at all, but my thoughts would be at the end, it would be better to say that the Council requests that the Police and Crime Commissioner and the Chief Constable looks at local policing again in view of the Chancellor's announcement that no new cuts will be made to police funding in the next four years. Now that covers all the aspects of local policing and in a rural area like Uttlesford it's the rural policing that's the important thing because if you get 
Basildon or you get Southend or you get Greys or you get Colchester, big urban areas, then yes, they do get a lot more of the policing. But it's not right that our residents actually miss out on local <coughs> policing, which to them is the most important thing. Councillor Sell, <laughs> still with us? I'm with you, Chairman. I, I hope everyone is. Um, I, I hope there are no further amendments. I understand what Councillor Chambers is suggesting, and I thought it was implicit in the motion that... that there is a window of opportunity that through the Chancellor and the Commissioner has said he is not going to make a decision at the moment. He will be reviewing it early in the new year given the announcement by the Chancellor. So I'm not sure whether having yet another amendment is, is going to be helpful. I, I only wish to say that because to me it's the local policing that is the important thing that's missing from here. Yeah. Yeah. We're happy to weave the word local policing in, words local policing in. I, I don't know if Mr Snow and Mr Perry are getting <laughs> confused. <laughs> While you're reading that, Councillor Gordon will speak in a moment, but if you propose an amendment, I'm going to come over there and throw something at you. Wait a minute. The council requests that the Police and Crime Commissioner and the Chief Constable looks at local policing in Uttlesford again. In view of the Chancellor's announcement that no new cuts will be made to police funding in the next four years. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Chairman, on that basis, the full motion appears to be this. Uh, the Council opposes a proposed cut to police community support officers from 27... Sorry, to... Um, 
that, that's what your amendment has yeah, no, my amendment changed those, those first two bits. Ah, sorry, you've it down there. This council proposes to discuss with the Chief Superintendent the level of PCSO support in Uttlesford. Can't be I will read mine out again. Right. So, this council proposes to discuss with the Chief Superintendent the level of PCSO support in Uttlesford to gain the best advantage available and to establish an operational plan for low-level crime that involves partners and protects those most in need. And then continuing, um, and supports the retention of a police station in Southern Warden, Dunmo and Stansted, which is fit for purpose and to write to the Police and uh, Crime Commissioner, the Chief Constable and Essex Police and Crime Panel accordingly, and the Council requests that the Police and Crime Commissioner and the Chief Constable look at local policing in Uttlesford again in view of the Chancellor's announcement that no new cuts will be made to police funding in the next four years. That's the full motion. Thank you. Um, Councillor Gordon, Councillor Light, (coughs) Councillor Ranger. Madam Chairman, Councillors, uh, I apologise if I'm going to cover some of the matters that have already covered. Um, this is a very important issue. Um, we have to be realistic in what we can achieve. Um, and I'm sure everyone present wants a, a safer Uttlesford. The decision as it stands is an operational decision by the Chief Constable. And his decision has an impact Essex-wide, not only on Uttlesford. He will argue that he is prioritising his resources. Uh, And I believe it may be useful to the members if I can secure the attendance of senior police officers to the council in order that members can raise direct questions with the police raise their questions and concerns in order that the police may answer those directly. With regard to antisocial behaviour, this covers a range of things, some of which the leader has already covered. But I am assured from meetings I've attended that what you might call aggravated antisocial behaviour, where there is a breach of the peace imminent, where there's criminal damage, where there's assault, where there's theft, these will be attended by police. The ultimate aim or objectives of the police service are the preservation of life and property, and that is how they would base their priority. So I'm with the, uh, the proposal, um, but it is helpful to the members. I will endeavour to secure the attendance of senior police officers to answer questions and your concerns. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Gordon. I'm sure that we would appreciate that very much. Um, Councillor Light, I'm afraid, Councillor Ranger, I've been advised you've already spoken on this matter. I just wanted to correct my amendment as as I read it. It's not as transparent. Oh, joy. Please do so. (laughs) Thank you, Chairman. My exact wordings were uh, a manned police station facility. 
Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to support the uh, notion of having the senior police officers here, not only to answer questions, but also uh, to enable us to say what, it, what is happening, what is required, and the accountability of the PCC uh, to the people of Essex should be noted, and I would certainly like him to be included uh, in an event. Thank you. No one else wants to speak? No? You're all dying to, I know. Okay, so, do we need to read the motion again? No, we don't. All of those in favour? <laughs> you don't have a channel. Thank you very much. So, um, final item is any other urgent business, of which there is none. I was going to wish you all a um, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, but we've been here so long, I'm going to say Happy Easter to you all instead. Thank you. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Madam Chair, can, can we, from the Council, wish you and your family a very Happy Christmas and a healthy New Year? That was great fun. Always is. It obviously went on for quite some while after I'd left. Oh yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get some thinking.